You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. such thing as death. Life is only a dream, and we are the imagination of ourselves. Welcome to My Third Eye, prying open your thought, truth, and reality, questioning everything and anything from conspiracies, cryptic, spiritual, natural healing, and everything else there is to encounter. Everything we think is not real, just might be real. Welcome to My Third Eye. Yeah, I think I've, I've worked the system out here where... I've, we live in a new estate and there's a vacant block and there's a huge big garden area with a, a children's playground and stuff. And I tried to petition the council to get like a native food trust going where we can, we can have raised beds and all that type of stuff. They knocked it back saying it was a health and safety issue. Well, it's hump day. Yes, that means it is Wednesday and this is your M3E weekly dose. So, uh, yeah, I have uh, Drew from You're Missing the Point On. And we talk about Australia's version of Billy the Kid, Ned Kelly. And Drew breaks it down. And wow, I mean, there's just so so much that he talks about and, and what Ned Kelly did for Australia is pretty fucking cool because, you know, we, we don't get that kind of history lesson over here, you know, in America. And so it's neat to hear, you know, from someone, you know, down under. When they have shrimp on the bobby. But uh, yes, Drew Drew killed it. And make sure you go follow him. Give him five-star rating and review. Also, purepetwellness.com. Don't forget that. Purepetwellness.com. Ghost at checkout. 20% off your entire order of your pet CBD needs. Yes, I use them on my pets. They work great. Also, live, live shipping domestically. Conspiracy-themed soap. 
Yeah, you heard that. Dangerousworldpodcast.com. Okay, dangerousworldpodcast.com. Go there. You can get a single bar or you can save some money and get a four pack. So highly suggest even just go check them out. All natural soaps. You can eat these, get the shits, but you're not going to be allergic to it. It's all natural ingredients made here in the United States. Also, patreon.com forward slash my third eye podcast. Thank you for the newest Patreon donations. Love you guys. Love uh, that we continue to grow. It's like a little family over there. And wow, uh, you know, we're going to have to put something together. Maybe a, a monthly thing where we, we get a do a little chit chat that's probably not recorded or whatever. So again, three, five and $10 tiers, patreon.com forward slash my third eye podcast. I'm going to jump out of here. It's Wednesday. We only have two more days and then some of us have a, an extended weekend. I don't. I have to have off two days, work a day, have off, and then go back for the rest of the week. So, you know, it is what it is. But, you know, 4th of July is coming up and we will be doing the Conspiracy Underground. So do not fret. Do not frown. It'll be there. So the next time you hear from me, again, uh, fair warning, this week's Talk at the Tavern will be a reload, reboot, throwback, whatever you want to call it. Had some audio issues and internet connection issues. So... Yeah, is what it is, and uh, peace out. Enjoy this hump day episode, and uh, yeah, one step closer to the edge of Friday. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to M3E. I have returning guest from down under, the kangaroo slayer himself, Drew Missing from You're Missing the Point. How are you, my friend? Good, mate. Very good. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Awesome. Um, I'm here to talk about Ned Kelly, someone that you may not have heard before, so and probably a lot of your listeners, considering he's a very Australian icon. Yes, uh, I remember. God, this is what probably a month ago when we were setting this up, and yeah, I you were posting stuff, and I was like, man, this is this is really interesting because obviously um, I show how dumb I am with sometimes with it, during cunt not knowing where the frickin' Netherlands are, and I, sh- I should know that, <laughs> where Dutch comes from. But uh, yeah, world history and, you know, Aust- Australian history to boot, because not many people really know about the past down there. It's not common knowledge or stuff that's just shared about it. Everybody just thinks you guys run around with big Bowie knives and, you know, kill crocodiles and wrestle you know kangaroos and chase off emus and whatever you know what i mean and and you have aborigines and everything on the island is going to kill you or the continent or whatever (laughs) yeah that's that's the uh the vibe that a lot of americans get about australia and i think it's uh, due a lot to the american education system where you've got this fantastic sense of patriotism but it kind of stops there it doesn't really go out into the world right too much but i think a lot of australian history would um would hit a core with a lot of Americans, especially a lot of the elements of the Ned Kelly story. Nice. For uh, for the listeners, can you just give a, before we get too deep into it, who Ned Kelly was and what he w- was famous in Australia for? Yeah, so I've actually got like a whole breakdown of like the events surrounding his life. So essentially he was uh, an Australian outlaw who was fighting against the corrupt Victorian police force at the time and was from a poverty-stricken background who was a guy that really had to go into a life of crime to feed his family. And eventually he was, I believe, set up for one of his prison sentences, which kind of 
solidified his hatred of authority and he became a notorious bush ranger which is our version of like your gunslingers from the old west okay um he was responsible for a couple of bank robberies and stagecoach holdups that type of thing and eventually was caught and hung by the state so in my little peanut brain he would be an equivalent to a robin hood you know kind of he's he's australia's answer to a uh a billy the kid or robin hood okay all right nice and the the guys that always go down in history as outlaws but were actually probably true heroes yeah they're the good guys all along right Mm mm-hmm it's funny you mentioned billy the kid because everybody everybody here in america knows billy the kid doc holiday you know all, all those old gunslingers and you know, you, you don't think of that when you think Australia because, you know, we're always told, oh, they, they gave up their guns and, you know, da-da-da-da-da. So, but the, things were yeah, different they, back they, back in the day. Yes, this was a frontier country. Like, a, for a lot of people who may not know this, Australia is still vastly underdeveloped as a first world nation. So much that my own hometown, if you look at the old West pictures of the, the frontier towns, there there might be a saloon, uh, a bank, and like maybe a post office, and that was it. Okay. That's what my hometown looked like in the 1920s. Oh, wow. And it, it just boomed over time. The majority of Australia was like that for the longest time. So this was a wild time, a time where people <laughs> did carry firearms, and there was law of provocation as well. So people just used to shoot each other. It was a wild, wild west. Well. When you start out as a prison state, <laughs> things <laughs> things don't don't uh, I don't know stray far from that you know. Uh, but obviously they have now. But yeah. So before we get going, let people know. Obviously, I'm sure they do know. My audience knows where they can get a hold of you. But just in case we have new listeners, uh, plug your podcast wherever you can be found and any social media you want. And let's jump into some Ned Kelly. Awesome, um, Drew Misson from Your Missing the Point podcast. M I double S E N. It's a take on my surname. You can find me on all the usual podcatchers, uh, Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, all that type of stuff. Um, and find me on Instagram under missing underscore the underscore point. And for, for you guys out there, he is a little shadow banned, uh, <laughs> but, but he does. I mean, you fire off so much content in, in a day's time that every time I have a couple minutes and I open up Instagram, there, there's something new from you. And, and it's always fire. It's always good. I'm always liking it and i'm you know i don't always comment because i don't have time but i at least give it a like because i'm like yeah that makes sense you can't comment on 60 memes ghost come on (laughs) yeah it's hard uh anyway let's get stuck into it all right so edward edward kelly commonly known as ned was australia's answer to billy kid and robin hood he's a very real person both australian folklore and history that stood up for the common man against the corrupt police force and the monarchy based system of its time he was a bushranger, an outlaw, a gang leader, and a convicted police murderer. One of the last bushrangers in Australian history, and is well known for wearing a suit of bulletproof armour during his final shootout with police. Those are the pictures you sent me, correct? Yeah, yeah. So what he did was he he fashioned himself a means of defence against uh, a staggeringly high number of police that were after him and his gang, which has never been replicated since. It's um, I think that the... The Back to the Future film kind of ripped it off where Michael J. Fox puts a sheet of metal underneath and gets shot in the chest. And it's like that bulletproof vest. Yes, yes. Because Ned, when- Kelly, Ned <laughs> Kelly started that whole thing off. When uh, when you sent the pictures, I'm going to see if I can bring them up here. Um, awesome. it, it That's what it exactly kind of reminded me of. I'm like, man, this dude basically just took um, metal, something that you would see out of like... Uh, 
oh, like a Mad Max type of film and or uh, night armor, basically. And that, that's that's what he wore. And I was I'm sitting here looking at the pictures. I was like, man, that's that's pretty, pretty freaking neat. He was like the 19th century Iron Man. He built himself yeah. this suit of armor and it absolutely worked. It worked until the police changed their strategy. But yeah, there it is. Yeah. So he's got his plate armor, mostly around the shoulders, head, body, and over the crutch. Um, that's his That's his personal armor there. And there's also the armor of his gang as well. So it wasn't just himself. He tried to protect his all the men that were in his group as well. Okay. Now, is this a bust of Ned Kelly? That's his death mask. So upon oh. hanging him, they made a cast of his head, which is on display to this very day. I forgot that they, uh, yeah, the whole death mask thing was a thing for a while. Wow. You can almost see where the rope was underneath his neck. Almost. And look how he has a very harsh face, very aged, very weathered. Mm-hmm. I'll let you guess how old he was when he died. By looking at that, I would have said uh, he looks like someone nowadays that would probably be 40s or 50s, but I'm going to guess on a different aspect, he was probably 25. Bang, he was 25. Damn. Exactly. Look at that yeah, guess. Nailed it. But look at look at the harsh realities of life in those days to look like that. And yeah. now people today look like they're 18 all the way into their 30s. Yeah. And I think, is this the armor for his gang then? That's his gang's army, yeah. Okay. Dude, it's so primitive, but it worked. It really did work. <laughs> Absolutely, it did. All right. So, Ed um, Edward Kelly was born on December 1854 in the then British colony of Victoria, which is my home state. He, has a thir- he was a third of eight children born to Irish parents, his mother an immigrant, and his father who was transported to Australia as a convict. Did you say 1954? Or 1854. Oh, 1854. I'm like, man, this is more recent than I thought. Okay. <laughs> So 1854, so it's in the 19th century. Um, Life was very rough for Ned growing up. At the age of 12, he quickly had to become the man of the house when his father died while serving an additional six-month prison sentence later on in life. So it's not just the mid-19th century. Like we think of the rest of the world. The world's developed. The world's booming at that time. But in Australia, it was still a frontier land. Okay. It was wild, untamed, dangerous... And with a new world of full variety of unfamiliar flora and fauna for its new settlers. Thick, dense hardwood forests were inhabited by First Nations people who competed with early settlers for game, foraging land, freshwater and territory. Frontier wars and skirmishes between these tribes were a very real threat to colonists, but it wasn't the only concern. The biggest concern for people like Ned Kelly and his family of the day, and the biggest threat to their safety and livelihood, was the squatocracy, which is especially for those who were considered poor selector families. Now, I have to define what those two words are. Okay. Selectors essentially were just British citizens who were either descended from convicts or were poor people that arrived who claimed a portion of land. And the okay. Crown would give it to them as long as they developed it, turned it into a farm or something like that. As a poor selector family, they had the pick of the worst land available. So it was either very dense in bush and scrub, um, Soil content wasn't the best, so they didn't really have the best land to choose from. Um, whereas the Squatocracy, they were European settlers who arrived, and it's kind of a play on the word aristocracy, where their usage came from they would steal other people's land. And so the people who were in the Squatocracy had the most land, the most developed land, and often they'd just take it from people who already possessed it. 
Kind of like a modern so, day squatter. Yeah, like a modern day squatter. That's where it came from. Um, but they they held because they held that land. They had a lot of political pull and 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 power within the government at the time. So at this time, they became the aristocracy of Australia, particularly Victoria. And in these colonies, they wielded so much power they could influence the police force at the time, mm. um, which. Victorian police at that time were considered to be very corrupt <laughs> and not a lot has changed since then unfortunately <laughs> old habits die hard with that lot yeah now so on many on many occasions the police would often intervene on the on the squatocracy's behalf and kick people off their land or if they were notified of um, people being harassed by these groups that they would actively ignore it okay now with your do you guys call them indigenous or Aboriginal? Uh, both. Both. Okay. So with with them fighting with the Aboriginals, does that still go on today as much? Because um, I I don't know the little that I know of the Aboriginal tribes. You don't really like they have their land, and you you just don't go there. Is that is that true? Essentially, um, over nearly fifty percent of Australia is considered Indigenous land, which isn't spoken about too often. A lot of Australians don't even know about. Okay, so it's a, almost a fifty-fifty split between Crown land, Indigenous land, and people's own personal property. But uh, the biggest disputes now are more political. There's no active <laughs> fighting going on. Right. Those last kind of battles happened in the, at the start of the. Um, the 20th century, the last few little conflicts, but now it's all politically driven. There's a lot of Indigenous people in Parliament and in our governments that are advocating for Indigenous rights, so it's more along those lenses. Okay. Now, the other question I have, and I'm only basing this off American history, the Native Americans helped us in some of our wars. Did they? Did your Indigenous people ever help, like, Ned Kelly's front or, or anything like that? to um, fight it, off it's not, the authority it's not it's not proven but being of, of the low socioeconomic spectrum in australia at the time being both irish and descended from a, a convict and having a, a criminal background he was forced to kind of go out into the bush and make connections with local mobs and tribes and he did have some local um some local indigenous tribes or clans that assisted him okay. um just more moving around and getting through the bush without being detected but there wasn't anything officially with say like what you would see in the states where you had the french and indian wars or anything like right. that it was more of a an assistance show you around type of a deal okay which could be can be a great help in, in and of itself you know here you have safe passage go through you know here's the safe mm -hmm. way through we're not going to take up arms you know, now our Native Americans and First Nations people did take up arms, thankfully. And then, obviously, we know how history turned out, and we turned around and fucked them. But that's every government in the world. Exactly. So unfortunately, the same thing happened to the indigenous here. There were uh, there were those those border conflicts and small skirmishes, but the scale of the uh, American Indian Wars wasn't quite there with Australia. Um, okay. A, a large majority of the indigenous Australians were wiped out either purposefully by the governments of the time or disease ended up killing a lot of few, quite a few off. Kind of like the smallpox blankets. Yeah. Unfortunately, the common cold is very deadly for Indigenous people. Their immune okay. systems just aren't at the same scale as Westerners. Huh. That's, that's interesting. Very interesting. All right. So the Cowley family, a poor Irish migrant family from convict stock, had very low social standing in this colony. 
leaving them to with a relatively small and less stale, less than stellar land holding for farm production. Living in a dangerous new world, the lower socioeconomic family sphere, the Ned Kelly quickly turned to his life of crime in order to feed his family and survive. As a teenager, Kelly was arrested for associating with a known bushranger, an Irishman called Harry Power, and served two prison terms for a variety of offences. It has been speculated that Callie's mother was in a romantic or a reciprocal relationship with Harry Power and that Ned was essentially sold off as a form of child labour. However, this has never been conclusively proven. So he started to build that, that early life of being an outlaw. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. In his teens, just as a means to protect and feed his family at the time. Hmm. Which... I think you and I would probably do the same thing. Well, I think everyone would do it. All <laughs> half of the convicts that came to Australia were done for stealing bread or food. So yeah. that's just adapting to a new place, isn't it? Right. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, And, and I love medieval films and, and stuff like that. They always put that in there. You know, you see the poor kid, you know, stealing a loaf of bread and what have you. It, but they put it in there for a reason because it was that common. Absolutely, it was. And particularly Australia. Australia had... It was still wild. A lot of the bush hadn't been felled yet. So farming was still very small scale. And the type of animals we have in Australia, they are high in protein. So if you were to just live off the mammals that are around in Australia, a lot of Westerners ended up getting what's akin to rabbit starvation. Okay. You can eat and eat and eat and eat, but- all you're getting is straight protein. So you don't have the fats and the minerals and everything else that you need as well, um, which the indigenous people, they knew a way around that. They had foraging techniques for local vegetables and fruits and things and seafood, whereas the Westerns were still very meat and bread orientated. So right. a lot of starvation occurred early on. That's, uh, that, that is actually a big problem when people think that they can like leave the lower, low, uh, lower 48 and move up to Alaska. And the Inuits... You know, they're out there. Now, they're allowed to, but, you know, they hunt seal and this and, and what have you. And they they make sure they're eating that, that blubber, that whale blubber, that fat. And other people, you know, people down here be like, why are you eat, consuming just fat? That's cholesterol. And this, this Your body needs that, you know. And, and now you, you see this big push for, oh, high-protein diet. That, that, that's the way. And it's like, no, I mean, you can cut carbs out, but you still need some of these fats, to balance out the protein. Yeah, you need it for your brain chemistry yeah. as well. Like if you don't if you don't have any of that fat working your way through your system, you're going to be on on four cylinders when you're running a VA. It's Yeah, big time. Um just on a side note, and this is just highly ironic, someone just requested to send a message to me, okay? Why yeah. why we're sitting here recording live. And I accepted it, and the message was a link to AP News. Australian police used taser on 95-year-old with dementia who held a steak knife. Yes, this was in New South Wales, so okay. <laughs> stayed above me, but police in this country have 
going through some very questionable changes within the psyche of the people at the moment. So this elderly lady held up a steak knife. She's full-blown dementia, small, frail. And instead of trying to disarm her or restrain her, they thought the best course of action was to hit her with a taser. And now she's in critical care. She could die. Wow. And the police are refusing to release the body cam footage. Oh, of course. You know, it's... Jeez. (laughs) I, I just was baffled at that i'm like i'm sitting here talking with drew from australia and someone sends me an australian link about this and you're like yeah it just happened blah 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 blah. i'm like wow yeah it's very serendipitous of what the police are like in the ned kelly story as well all right all right so the big turning point for ned was um he had this growing distrust of police because of his time served as a teenager and and that time working with a known outlaw that he hated the system, he hated the police, and eventually came to a head in 1871 when Ned discovered a horse. He found a, bu- a horse out in the scrub, out in the bush, all by itself, um, no markings, anything on it to show ownership. And Ned, being Ned, thought, oh, this is awesome. I'm not going to look a gift horse in the mouth, literally. And he mounted it, and he rode it straight on into town. Unfortunately, this was the end for Ned. Um, it proved to be a really terrible choice that... A young man who'd already rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, was known by police, had criminal charges. Um, the squatocracy had it out for him, and so did the constabulary. He was arrested for suspicion of theft and was later charged and found guilty of receiving a stolen horse. And he then served a prison term of three years from 1871 to 1874. Mm. For a horse. So he, yeah. For a horse. Something that didn't show ownership he tried to explain supposedly that i just found it and if it's someone's they can take it back but they really drilled at home to put him away again wow thing things never change no definitely not take, take that horse and it could be a car these days or not even a car a bicycle that's probably yes. been sitting somewhere with rust on it yeah you name it no one's ridden it you find it just stashed. Okay, I'm going to ride it. Cool. It's it's all, you know, squeaking and what have you. No different than this horse. And oh, you're going to get arrested, and you know, but we have it out for you. That's why. Yeah, it's just, it's the same as like buying a car from someone cash in hand and then finding out it's a stolen vehicle. Ooh. You're the one that gets in trouble, not the guy you bought it from. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Dicks. Exactly. So after this top, next stint in prison, he made some connections with a couple of uh scrupulous characters and he later became a member of the Gretig mob which was a group of bush rangers and larrikins known for cattle theft so they would go around steal cattle from people's ranches and sell them off what's a larrikin a larrikin is an australian vernacular for like uh, a funny bloke um a good mate someone who is a bit of a roust about okay all right yep so this group quickly crossed paths with the police force though at the cali's home itself so in 1878 Violence broke out at the homestead. Um, Ned was being indicted for attempting to murder a police officer of the Crown. And Ned's mother was arrested and imprisoned for her parts in the events. But Ned managed to get away. Mm. So the police rocked up, found where the gang was. There was a bit of a scuffle. Ned was going to be arrested. He bolted into the bush and his mum was the scapegoat for it all. So Ned fled into the bush, vowing that one day he would get vengeance for his mother's arrest. And the tensions led to his younger brother, Dan, and two associates, Joe Byron and Steve Hart, to shoot dead three policemen. And as a result, the government proclaimed them all outlaws. And that's where the Ned, Galley, Ned Kelly gang started. Okay. So his, his brother took it upon himself to get revenge with his mates. They killed some cops. 
And that's when the manhunt started. They were officially proclaimed outlaws, kind of like a Robin Hood. Yeah. The state yeah. named who they were, your, your villains, your evil people, and we're coming for you. You're, you hit it right on the head when, when you said uh, Billy the Kid type of character, because his story isn't too far off of what Billy the Kid's story was. You know what I mean? Everybody knows Billy the Kid for uh, being a fast gunslinger and this and that, and, you know, kind of a, a wise ass, you know, a, a provocateur, I guess you could say, you know, edging people on for a fight. But I, if, I do believe his crimes essentially were something to do with cattle, and he ended up hooking up with th- this farmer and what have you. And then, long story short, he was protecting his friends, ended up killing an officer or whatever, and that's what eventually led to him being this big criminal because he was protecting his friend from corrupt police officers. Yeah, my understanding is that Billy was almost a part of like a a small outfit used to protect uh, a farmer's holdings, his land, yes. from a, a, a competing farm next door, which kind of sounds a lot like the squadocracy. Yes. Um, trying to take land from other people. So it's the same kind of a deal here. It's average person standing up, using their morals against what's wrong and what's right. Standing for what's right and going against what's wrong. And and for the listeners, if, if you're... If, if you're not familiar, it's not a historically accurate film, but if you kind of want that that story of Billy the Kid told, watch Young Guns and Young Guns 2. Um, it, it, that's kind of the basis of Billy the Kid and a couple of the other uh, stories. So it's an older movie. It came out in the late 80s, early 90s, but still good. Very good. And it actually proves that John Bon Jovi can time travel. Yes, it does. Because he was shot down in a blaze of glory. <laughs> uh, yeah, great shit. movie. Very it, good yes, movie. Yes, very Lou good. Diamond Phillips is in that as well. Very yes. Good. All right, so the new formed Cali gang evaded Victoria police for over two years. And I'll put this into context for you. Victoria itself is one of our small states in Australia, okay. but it's bigger than multiple European countries. You can fit a whole heap of European countries into Victoria itself. Most of it is still bushland today. So at that point, it was majority um, tall wood ash, um, tall eucalyptus gum, red wood gum forest. Very dense, very easy to hide out in. So they spent two years evading the police. They couldn't catch them. So this was support. This was achieved through the support of a following that he'd gathered from the lower class and sympathisers within Australia. So the poverty stricken, um, the larrikins of the world, the the Irish, the convicts, they all looked up to Ned Kelly as someone who's kind of fighting for, for their, their place in society. And he, he, at that time, he was starting to be considered as a modern-day Robin Hood for his time. Okay. Um, so the major events undertaken by the gang were raids at Uriand and Geraldry. Um, essentially, it was a bank robbery, a couple of bank robberies and a stagecoach theft. Um, they were responsible for killing Aaron Sherritt, who was a sympathiser turned police informant, who was actually killed while under police protection. So all this time they're evading police, not being caught, committing bank robberies, stealing things. They found out that one of their supporters was giving information to the police and tipping them off. Instead of just leaving it, they actively found where he was being held by the police and topped him. Talk about sending a fucking message. He walked out for a piss at night and they shot him in the dark. Nice. (laughs) Snitches get stitches. They definitely do. 
So it was at this time where he's gathering this following within the colonies and there's a bit of unrest going on amongst the low socioeconomic groups that Neds decides to send a manifesto. He sent a 40-page manifesto denouncing police, the government, and the British Empire. He set down his own account of the events that led up to his outlawry and demanded justice for his family and the rural poor. He threatened dire consequences against those who defied him. And here's just a few major talking points from his 40-page manifesto. Two little paragraphs. All right. As it, as it only aids the police to procure false witnesses to lag innocent men, I would advise them to subscribe to a sum and give it to the poor of their district, as no man could steal their horse or cattle without knowledge of the poor, and they would rise as one man and find it was on the farce of the earth. The police can't protect you. All those that have reason to fear me and better sell out and give £10 out to every hundred to the widow and orphan fund and do not attempt to reside in Victoria but as short as the time as possible after reading this notice. Neglect this and abide by the consequences which shall be worse than the rust in wheat in Victoria or the drought of the dry season in the grasshoppers of New South Wales. I do not wish to give order full force without giving timely warning, but I am a widow's son, an outlawed man, and my orders must be obeyed. Mm. Very well said. So he said it straight. He Now there's some alternative historians who are trying to claim today through their research that Ned was actively trying to create an uprising amongst the poorer classes. Okay. And that he was actively going out with his gang, recruiting an army. This hasn't been proven, um, but there are indications that those types of things were going on. Which, if I was him, I think I would be doing that. Absolutely. After a life of being downtrodden and persecuted and targeted, seems like a thing with so much corruption going on at the time. Yeah. All right, so the Crown at this point, in response to his manifesto, stepped up their pursuit of the Cali gang, bringing in a decorated officer from the cal- from the colony of South Africa to bring him in, Superintendent Francis Hare. This proved to be the man who would outwit and outthink Ned Kelly, but not to a lot of challenge and pushback from the Cali gang. Mm. So you think about this, a small colony on the other side of the world means nothing. The Crown has to actively invest in one of their best police officers from across the Commonwealth to catch an outlaw. So there must have been a lot going on beyond the odd stagecoach robbery going on in the state that they, I think, are really trying to quash a rebellion. Huh. Never mind. I lost my. I lost my question. <laughs> I, I had no it right, worries. right, right there. I was because if you've got mind. it, jump in. Yeah. In eighteen eighty, the state drove the gang into the bush by occupying townships, farmsteads, and pressing his sympathisers for information. Oh. Ned knew that large number of officers and their rifles would quickly outnumber and outgun the gang if found. This is when he put his famous plan into action. So I remember remembered what I was going to ask. So this cop, he wasn't from Victoria. No, he was a British national, air quotes, who was born in or from South Africa and was their major and superintendent for putting down uprisings amongst the African tribes. Okay, so they kind of... Yeah. Now, did they bring him in or he was already there they brought him in they actually shipped him out wow so that's a long time back then to go via boat so they must have seen the writing on the wall what could potentially happen if the cali gang wasn't put down yeah because you you have to think a god you got to send a letter you know what i mean and Mm -hmm. that that travels by horse and boat and finally gets to him then he has to reply and you know so we're talking months and months and months 
before anything. I think, I think about how long the, the governor of Victoria sat on it because you wouldn't want to look incompetent to the rest of the empire. Right. That this Irish thug was going around stealing and robbing. It's actually have to ask for help from the crown. That would have been a big step in those days. So that he probably sat on that for months on end. Wow. That's crazy. Okay, so here's how his awesome plan came into action. In 1880, so they they drove him into the bushlands. He was hiding. He couldn't rely on his sympathizers, couldn't go into the towns because they're currently being occupied by an army of the police, right? Mm -hmm. Within the confines of the Victorian bushland, the gang pieced together a makeshift forge and began the process of building the gang's now famous armour. It was fashioned from stolen plough moldboard and developed and and they developed this protective armour against the rounds of the police that were now chasing them. So they figured there's going to be that many guns, there's going to be that many bullets flying at us, we need to protect ourselves. And they had the ability to think of something to protect themselves. So they, they, they may have been low education, lowbrow guys, but they had the smarts to give themselves some kind of body armour. Yeah. And you said these came from like plows, right? Yeah, from so, plough boards. Yeah, so that's, that's thick steel or, yeah, steel uh, to begin with. And then they're going to kind of heat it up and forge it into what they need that's some thick armor i wouldn't it is i wouldn't want to wear it uh just due to the weight um and was this like summertime or wintertime for you guys when, when all this was kind of occurring uh, i believe it was winter time so okay. at, at the best of times the australian bush is cold wet and damp in victoria especially so we're so far south so they're cutting down hardwood red gum trees, which are notorious for breaking saws, breaking axes. They were cutting this wood up to fire the furnace. Wow. To, to bend and shape this metal, which is ironic because red gum is some of the hot, hottest burning firewood in the world. So they were in the best position to be out in the middle of nowhere doing this. Jeez. <laughs> and never, underestim- uh, never underestimate someone with uh, a very strong will to, to carry out a deed. And they're back against a wall. Yeah. So he had to try and even the odds through this. Even with the new armor, they were outnumbered and wouldn't last long. Ned's plan was to derail a train carrying dozens of officers on their way to ambush the gang. So what he did was he'd taken some hostages at a hotel at the time. And he went out, he derailed the tracks within the bush where it wouldn't be seen in the hopes it would derail the train and kill a whole heap of the police that were after him. Unfortunately, it's suspected that one of his hostages got away and was able to flag down the train in time, in which case they got out, they put the train, the tracks back on, and the train kept moving. So that part of the, the plan failed. Damn. On its face, it would have worked perfectly. It would have taken out a whole heap of the police, and he may have had a better chance. So that plan failed. The derailment um, was noticed to the police and ended up with the police engaging in a final shootout with the gang at the Glen Rowan Inn. The gang took two drunken hostages from the hotel as a means of negotiation. They surrounded the hotel in the dead of night, and during a rainstorm, the gang adorned in their armor began to fire upon the police. Mm. So we're talking the 1800s. Did you guys have rifles then, like we did? Or- we d- we didn't have the lever actions. Um, even the pistols, they were cock, fire, cock, fire, cock, okay. fire. It wasn't a cylinder-based um, pistol like you guys had. So they would go out. They'd cock, fire, cock, fire, cock, fire, and then go back in and reload. Okay. Um, so they, they were completely surrounded. The police had rifles, pistols. They were opening fire, shooting through the windows. This went on for quite some time, um, but this is when their plan came into action. They realized that they were surrounded. They had to put the armor on. They dawned their armor. They turned the lamps off on the hotel, making it pitch black. They would step out 
into the dark. Someone inside would turn the lanterns back on to show them in their armor. They'd freak the shit out of the police who were watching them. <laughs> They'd let the police shoot at them. They stood there staunchly waiting for the police to shoot. It would ricochet, bounce off them. They might get hit in the arms or the waist where it wasn't armored. They'd get hit. They'd stand there, take it, then raise their pistols and start popping and taking out police. Mother, people, don't underestimate the fucking Irish, okay? <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. They're crazy. So there's uh, there's a, an account from one of the personal diaries of one of the police officers, and there's supposedly a thunderstorm at the time where he said with every flash you could see the demons in their armor ready to shoot us one by one. Ooh. And as soon as they ran out of armor, the lights would go off, they'd go back inside, reload, and they'd come out for another round, come out for another round. Even even though the bullets are hitting that metal, that still has to hurt. Like you're still, I mean, you're still feeling that impact, and and to sit there and take it, like you said, in a hip or in an arm, and just okay, yeah, whatever. I, talk about putting some mental fear in, in, into your opponent. Absolutely, and these are, and the police at that time they were generally well educated upper crust. English settlers who became police for the social status of things. And they were very um, wary of superstitions and indigenous folklore. And these guys would have absolutely scared the crap out of them by seeing what they were doing. Nice. Nice. So the police were taken back by this display and began to waver and becoming disenchanted in the shootout. All until one officer pointed out the, pointed out the weakness in the armor, the seams around the legs, elbows, hands, and waist. The police began to target these areas, and one by one, each of the men began to fail, and they were dragged back inside to the inn. Later, the police would end the whole stalemate, the whole shootout, by setting fire to the building with all occupants inside, including the hostages. Ooh. Not so a fun this way is like to go. Ancient Waco. Yeah. Set fire to the building and deal with it that way. Now, Callie was the only survivor and was severely wounded by the police fire when he was captured. Despite thousands of supporters attending rallies and signing a petition for his reprieve, Callie was tried, convicted, and sentenced to death by hanging, which was carried out at the old Melbourne jail. Damn. So this this whole escapade, it didn't last many, many years, but it when it did finally happen, I mean, it went quick. It did, and it had, it's had such a long, ongoing social impact in the Victorian psyche and the Australian um, cultural framework. He's someone that's not going to be forgotten anytime soon. Gotcha. So, w- when you say that, like, how how do Victorians and, and Australians view him today? Like, is he like a, like a William Wallace type hero, or just very a- much so? It's it's a split. So. You've got a lot of the the working class blue collar Australians who identify with Ned because he had that ability to stand up against the establishment and fight for what was right and mm-hmm. for his family. And then you've got the other side of things where Victoria Police, even to this day, still lay out a wreath for the officers that were killed. And they still proclaim Ned Kelly to be a police murderer and not something that people should um, look towards with reverie or with some kind of notoriety they don't think that's a good idea oh of course not you're you're going against the establishment exactly you got to so he he's he's one of the most important things about Ned Kelly and a lot of young guys get this tattooed on themselves in Australia a lot of the young tradies and bogans out there 
Before Ned died, his final words were, such is life. Yo, I've heard that, such is life. Yep. Like, even here um, in America. Yeah, so it's a very poetic standing and statement from a man who thought his entire life of 25 years. What a crazy concept to think the guy so young could, could have put that amount of effort into standing up for what was right. And such is life. Um, a lot of young guys get this tattooed across their chest or their abs or across their arms. It's a statement that is um, built into our psyche as a nation. So where do you have it tattooed? I don't have it tattooed. I'm clean skin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so is that... Because I've heard that even even when I was a kid, you know, certain people, you know, oh, such is life, you know, this and that. It is he the originator of it, or who? who... I, I'm not sure, but that's the statement he ended his life with. So it wouldn't surprise me if it was maybe from a, a older Victorian era type of um, statement. But that's how he ended his life. Such is life. Yeah, because here in America, obviously, we're a melting pot, and you know the. Ellis Island and all that, you know, immigrants used to come through. Obviously, we had Australians, you know, everybody from around the world. We still do. I mean, now it's more different. They like they like that southern border. But obviously, folklore from every nationality, and, and I'm not saying this is folklore, but, you know, you know, stories passed down from generations still make it into common common language or common stories or try to, you know, relate it to something here you know what i mean which is which is neat because until you said that i was like man i i didn't know that was like a ned kelly last words you know such as life you know it's kind of like it is what it is you know but this is what i love about ned kelly is that he represented the last of the wild untamed frontier of australia it was quickly becoming a highly organized and educated society the uneducated were being locked up put in prison pushed out and he was the last person pushing back against this and unfortunately a lot of Australians identified Ned Kelly and and support the things he did as being morally right but in the past three years we definitely didn't see that within Victoria or Australia we saw our people kowtow to the establishment and I think the spirit of Ned Kelly and the spirit of what he stood for has died for a lot of Australians Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if we're going to get that back but there is a bit of a resurgence with, with him and a lot of the freedom parties and a lot of the truth of community. So who knows? It's it's something that's still within our, our collective mindset as Victorians. Yeah, and it, it needs to be because the whole world watched what happened during the last three, four years in Australia. And we were just shaking our heads like, holy shit, you know, how can they let the their government do that to them? But when you look at how things are in Australia, your hands are tied, unfortunately. And that's why the rest of the world screams at the United States, do not give up your guns. Do not give up your guns. You you guys are the last dance for what, what freedom is supposed to be represented, and we're losing that quicker than shit here. Yeah, you've got to dig your heels in and don't let what happened to us happen to you. Yeah. All right, I've got a few little conspiracy theory side of things oh nice Ned Kelly now I like so that. this is where the folklore starts to come into it some karma right here so Sir Redmond Barry which, who was the judge who presided over the case and sentenced Ned to death he actually died 12 days after Ned's hanging he died of a carbuncle on his neck which is like a pus filled wound 
Yeah. Like a, like a big pimple. That popped and he died, of all things, 12 days after the hanging. So people say in the community that this was Ned's revenge against him and he was coming back from the dead to kill him. Whether it's just coincidence or not, it's definitely some karma that that guy died 12 days after sentencing Ned to death. That's awesome. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> and this is where the folklore comes into it. There's a really, really interesting theory about Ned and when that he wasn't actually arrested and it wasn't Ned that was hung at the jail. The theory supposes that it was his brother, Dan, who took his place, allowing Ned to escape into the bushland during the shootout. Officially, Dan and Steve Hart died when the police set fire to the hotel uh, where they were sheltering and the two charred bodies were found later. Now, the theory is that Dan took one of the hostages, mm-hmm. put him inside the armour and lent him up against the wall, allowing Ned to escape. And he put Ned's armor on. Okay. And he took Ned's place. Um, there's some slight evidence for this. There's stories of Ned being seen and wrote about by the by the people in the aristocracy at the time and people in diaries. And in the 90s, there was an old photo that came out that supposedly depicts Ned Kelly alive and well 10 years after the fact. Interesting. Which su- which sold for, I think it was 70,000 pounds at the time, but can't be found anymore. Huh. If I would have, because I I always go into interviews blind because I want to learn as we're going along. If I would have known a lot of this, I think, and we can always do a part two to some of this and compare the lives of Billy the Kid and Ned Kelly, because there's there's some of that folklore with Billy the Kid that he he wasn't shot and killed at at that uh, that ranch or wherever he was staying, and he he did escape. And it's just kind of it's it's weird how similar the stories are. Now, granted, Billy the Kid wasn't wearing all this armor or what have you, but you know he was considered an outlaw, but he he was fighting for what he perceived as good you know what i mean and and in all accounts i I think he was fighting for good and same with ned kelly yeah and um particularly in australia we have a we have an affinity for the underdog we always go for the little aussie battler as we call them the person that's defying surmountable odds and, and putting in the good fight so we identify with those people and i think it's the same way for billy and billy and the kid that mm-hmm. he was one of he was just the average guy trying to do his best and I think you see a lot of these stories happen across multiple cultures and it's probably for good reason. It's either we're all being oppressed by the same people or the moral stance and good people just try to fight back. Yeah. And I think I, I'm not encouraging violence anybody and neither is Drew, but I think we need to have some more of these Ned Kelly's or Billy the Kid type people stand up and, you know, Take take your country back. I mean, hell, we saw France, France of all people, known to be, sorry, French people, kind of lazy, uh, out rioting, uh, going to Black Rock's headquarters, and and you know over their their raise of uh, the retirement age, if if that's what we're truly, you know, if that's what it truly was. You know, the French are doing it up in England during the last four years. Protests constantly up there. And and a lot of them never got 
any type of traction. I'm sure down in Australia there was protests that never got any coverage or nobody even heard about it. Yeah, um, you know how the media are today. A few hundred protesters and then you get the videos from people's phones and it's easily 100,000. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's um, it's it's something that we need to keep in our in our collective culture across the West that we need to have that rebellious spirit or we're going to go back to a like a, a medieval serfdom except it'll be a technocracy. We'll be the, the poor people working in the factories and building the things that they want for the elites and we'll go to our little tiny pods and they'll be living high off the hog. Mm-hmm. If we don't have that rebellious nature, history will repeat itself. Yeah, and our pods will be visors over our head while we live in the AI. Mm-hmm. Exactly right. We're probably working in a virtual reality somehow. Yeah. Not living. Last little thing. Oh, go ahead. Last little thing about Ned Kelly is that he wasn't always a criminal. Um, As a child, he actually saved another boy from drowning, and this boy belonged to a a somewhat upper class English family. Okay. Uh, And this family awarded him with a gold and green sash, um, which Ned reportedly was wearing the night that he was shot and captured. He had that sash tied around his waist as evidence of his bravery and that he was a good person. So much so that the national colours for the Australian teams in sports are gold and yellow. A gold and um, green, sorry. Oh, nice. So that's carried on as well. That's awesome. Our national sporting colours for everything we do. So we, we've taken that on board as well as a country, whereas you'd look at our flag, red, blue and white, you'd think it'd be something like that, but gold and green based off a lot of Ned Kelly. Huh. I've got some homework for you, though. Okay. All right. You're a big film buff. Go back and watch the 2003 Ned Kelly film starring oh, Heath Ledger. I was just going to add- Bloom, Jeffrey Rush, Naomi Watts, and Joel Edgerton. Okay. So it is just called Ned Kelly? Ned Kelly. Because I was going to ask you that earlier. Did they ever make a movie out of his his story? And there, there's There's been a recent one in the last couple of years. Um, I think that the Heath Ledger one is- more romantically accurate to the type of person I believe he was. Okay. Um, the latest one that's come out puts him in the light of being a drunkard and they have him dancing around in women's clothing and all sorts of weird oh, shit. Oh, um, absolutely. You know, you got you to push that it's, movement. It's, it's really woke. But that film, actually, the newer one, does point out that he was trying to raise an army at the same time, which the, the Heath Ledger one doesn't. So there's elements of truth in it sprinkled amongst PC crap in the latest one. Okay. But give the uh, 2003 film a go. Fantastic film. Yeah, definitely. I'm going to have to find a platform that it's on because I'm going to watch it just because it has Heath Ledger in it. He's one of my favorite actors. You know, God, God yeah, rest he his na- soul. He absolutely nailed it. Orlando Bloom actually plays the, the friend who um, one of his one of his mates, not his brother. And then there's Joel Edgerton, I believe, plays the role of the friend who betrays them to the police. Okay. And gets shot in the dark. Now is fantastic film. Great period piece. If you're an American and want to know what Australia was like at that time, it nails the period perfectly. Oh, nice. Now is, is Orlando Bloom and Aussie as well? Uh, British. British. Okay. I, I, I knew Heath was, but wasn't sure about him. I liked Orlando Bloom in uh, Lord of the Rings. They, they, favorite character i think out of that whole movie yeah i think he jumped on board for the ned kelly film because he was living in new zealand and australia um, periodically during the lord of the rings films and he really liked it here and he and he decided to join the film nice 
So what what else do we have? Uh, I mean, we have we have. I set aside a, a decent amount. I mean, if you want to wrap, we can. I can put this out as a bonus. It's up to you. Up to you, man. Let's keep going. What we can do is um, we can always just cut it and then um, have the, another half as something else as a bonus. Have the Ned Kelly one part and then us talking about something else. Up to you. Yeah, yeah. Let's, we can do that. Whatever you want to talk about. Awesome. All right. What's going on in statewide with you guys? <laughs> What's <laughs> what isn't? Ah, oh, shit. Statewide. What, what have I been seeing over the weekend? A lot of Joe Biden shit, obviously, with him visiting uh, Japan. Got the motherfucker almost fell down steps again. Then they show him wandering around like like he has no no clue. And then this uh, Durham report comes out, and in there, I guess the FBI said he wasn't mentally fit to know that he was conducting wrong businesses with foreign agencies while in a position of power, but yet he's mentally fit to run the country. So how, how does that make sense? He's not mentally fit to hold a bank card or a driver's license. No. Or a finger on the button. Jesus Christ. No. He, he can barely even hold a fucking ice cream cone. Hey, but it's chocolate, chocolate chip. Chocolate, chocolate chip. That is true. I don't know. It, there, there's just so much that hits us. And obviously you listen and, and we try to cover the what we think is important on on the conspiracy underground with you know Ryan and I and and what we can find for the weekly news news show but a lot of it is just it's like repeat it's just okay it's the same thing that was played out pick your president before that just different players now and it it's just all fear porn fear propaganda keep people scared oh my god this is gonna happen trump's going to jail oh my god no he's not oh biden crime family they're going down no no they won't nothing is ever gonna fucking happen to these fucks this is the problem with the two-week news cycle it desensitizes us to what's actually going on because then they repeat that same news cycle a presidency later or a few months later or what have you whereas if it was real integrity the news had real integrity they'd push that story every single hour of every single day until something actually happens. Yeah. Yeah. And the media doesn't do that anymore. Nope. Nope. You saw for my memory. Okay. I didn't really pay attention to Clinton's presidency. I was in high school and then off into to the air force or whatever, but didn't really care then. But when you see Bush, uh, with nine 11 and all that come into play, and you watch the news coverage then and how they were showing body counts, body counts, body counts. Then Obama came in. Oh, all that stopped. Then Trump comes in. Oh, my God. We're going to bash him, bash him, bash him like we did did Bush. And then all of a sudden the pandemic hit. Body count, body count, body count, body count, body count. Biden comes in. Oh, everybody get your, your pokey poke because uh, Biden said it, it's OK, even though it was Trump shot. And you all said it was it was bad. Like, what the fuck? Like, people, I, I don't like left or right, but how dumb do people need to be that they can't see that that's what's going on? Like, hello? It's team, team sports analogy. It just fits people perfectly, doesn't it? Yeah. It's, and you could agree with someone 98% of the time, and if they give you 2% of something from another party, oh, you're, you're a Democrat, or you're a Republican because you believe in this. Yeah. No, well, I can have two states of mind in my head at the same time. Exactly. You know, I, I'm a free-thinking individual, and 
I don't know. It, it's it's nuts. It it gets it gets old sometimes. You know what I mean? Like I got out of like like Q, and I've said this uh, uh, many times. Q really burned me and duped me because to me, and and I know there's other vets out there that still buy into it and and are like full gung ho on it. And it's like, dude, look at how you're being duped. They're playing into your military psyche like that because they know how you were programmed. And I fell for it for a while and, and you know, you, you still see it and it's like, come on, people. It, it screams that it's like the feds creating a farm to try and create shooters. Yeah. Because the last thing um, that they need to push gun control in America, I think, is to have a whole heap of vets armed to the teeth going out and gunning down a bunch of innocent people. And if you can have the feds that are manipulating people to do that, I think that's all they need for gun control in the States. Yeah. It's going to be hard for them, and it'd probably be feds having shootouts with people in their houses or on their property, but I think that's the way it's, it's going, especially when a thing like Q gets weaponized. Yeah, it, it'll be another uncivil. <laughs> well, where do I start? I'm bad shit, what you read in the covenant is cap. I was bred by the government. Fact check every head when it come to this upside down system. Had enough of it. Another sapien that's on the globe. Lost code, looking for the direction, but don't nobody know. The only bit of insight that they ever sold me, I've been start to find out, doesn't really hold. Every highfalutin piece of shit hidden in a tie, high motives to align goals. Cheating on your wife, my ties at the ninth hole. Someone gotta die, they don't care, they itemize souls. Tit jobs from Botox to light bulbs, light bulbs in my head of where I might go. I'm on a tight rope, walking the sedge. And I've been wondering if anyone loves me, shit And I've been wondering if anyone loves me, yeah Fuck And I've been wondering if, look I've been hopping down this rabbit hole for quite some time To find lines that connect through to all their lies They normalize a real life poltergeist To trust Pfizer with a remedy to make you right The thought's sick I take a chance and roll my dice Because something in my stomach isn't sitting right I wanna soul search, find a place to bring in light But I can't cause Fuck I'm bad shit, what you read in the covenant It's cap You were fed by the government Fact check every head when it come to this upside down system Had enough of it, we batshit What we read in the covenant, it's cap We were fed by the government Fact check every head when it come to this upside down system Had enough of it I want the power to shake shit and shift shape Tap into pineal eye without a mistake We have the power to live right and get straight But they found a way to remove this, they bitch made Hey. Keep on calcifying glands with your flow ride while I flow ride the valor of rhyme. I'm flying high by the seat of my pants. A beat speaking to me, know I'm talking back every chance. Hoping one day I make it overseas or to France. But in the Northwest, I trip without a traveling band. Yeah. And that's word of my cat plug. I'm higher than giraffe puss. Look what the cat drug in. Now I'm scribbling this rap in the bathtub. At midnight, I don't fill it up with the tap cup. Soaking in my cannabis suds. Anything for a buzz. Reclaim my residue inside of a dab jug. Peel through a fat stash, burning the last snug. I picture this dimension I don't wanna come back from. 
But here I am still stuck in the bathtub My brain fried but honestly I'm fine I'd rather not have one I'm bad shit I'm fucking bad shit And it's your fucking fault It's their fault Straight up I'm done I'm bad shit what you read in the covenant It's cap You were fed by the government Fact check every head when it come to this upside down system Had enough of it Enough of it Save big on brunch for mom All in the Kroger app Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound All with your card and a digital coupon Shop these deals at your local Kroger today Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today Kroger, fresh for everyone Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.